Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to Rule the World, the ultimate power of storytelling. Storytelling is what connects us as humans, and for brands, it is no different. A well-told story can effectively position your brand in the minds and hearts of your audience, and can convert thoughts and feelings into results and revenue. On this show, we dive into the unique and recurring principles of world-class storytellers from every walk of life, to help you level up your storytelling skills and knowledge to drive real, measurable results for you and your organization. Here's your host, Paul Furlong. Well, hello and welcome to Rule the World, the art and power of storytelling. My name is Paul Furlong, creative director at Focus Media, and I imagine you're listening to this podcast because you know the power of storytelling. And I want you to bring that power to your own writing with Roger Shulman at thewritercoach.com. Roger's unique coaching method connects your personal story to whatever you're writing, giving it heart and depth. The result, your presentation, website copy, keynote address, or screenplay becomes compelling entertaining and persuasive. Roger is the winner of the British Academy Award and nominee for the Oscar and the Emmy. So go to thewritercoach.com and schedule a free discovery session. Let Roger bring the Hollywood to your writing. Today's guest is Julian Lewis, best-selling author of Infinite Giving and business coach at Integris Global. Julian is passionate about helping his clients to create successful teams and raise their performance levels. He believes that everyone achieves more when they are surrounded by the right people. With 20 years business experience, Julian worked with others to grow, unlocking their true potential. So Julian, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Oh, it's great to be here, Paul. Great to be here. So I've given you a little bit of an introduction there. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about you and how you spend your time? Yes, yeah, so I think fundamentally what I do is I unlock people's aspirations. So uh, working with people uh, who know what they want to do, aren't sure necessarily how they're going to get there. And uh, often we have some doubts, whether they're self-doubts, but often put uh, on us. It, it kind of stems from uh, when I was when I was a um, teenager, late teenager, actually, I, I, wanted to, um, I wanted to be a lawyer. And in hindsight, I think I'd have made a very good lawyer. I want to be a barrister. I read Rumpole of the Bailey at, um, uh, at that age. And uh, I really wanted to do this. However, I told myself that I wasn't good enough. And in lots of ways, I wasn't in terms of naturally, it wasn't going to be an easy path for me to get there. Uh, Yet in hindsight, I think I should have tried a bit harder. And had I possibly had some extra encouragement, uh, then that could have uh, could have got me over my demons. That it was all self talk. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't people telling me I wasn't good enough. That's for sure. Um, so I recognised that in myself, um, and I think I'm very good at doing that for, with other people. Uh, and as you said in my introduction, uh, I, I have this team ethos. I think successful people always surround themselves with a team. Uh, which doesn't mean to say it has to be necessarily a formal team, but it's who you surround yourself with, your friends, your family, your advisors, like, you know, in even simply case, your accountant, that kind of stuff. Uh, so I think that's really important uh, as well. So I promote people working together uh, in teams. 
Now, one of your areas of expertise is disk and disk profiles. So I wonder if you could maybe start off by uh, giving us a brief description of what disk profiles are. Yeah, so absolutely. Um, so disk was born out of recognizing that we have different behavioral styles and uh, by recognizing those behavioral styles, it really helps us understand the world uh, in which we live in. And at its baseline, it gives you an understanding of who you are and, how, and what makes you tick and why you think certain ways. Uh, in its rawest form, DISC is based into four different behavioral styles. However, and these are these are D, I, S, and C. Uh, this is where the name comes from. At Integris, we like to change that into colors. They're just easier to remember, red, yellow, green, blue. But it's interchangeable. We, we, we use DISC uh, as, uh, as the behavioral style pattern. There are lots of other different types as well. And uh, the important thing for me is that you choose one, you stick to it, you study it. And also that you move beyond the understanding of yourself. Because for me, that's really just the start of the journey of using behavioral styles, of using DISC. And it's so much more powerful when we start to look at it to actually understand how our society and how our society ticks. And in Tegas, we use it in all sorts of different ways. And understanding yourself is really just the start. Uh, and the interesting thing is, whilst it's broken down into four different styles, all of the styles are in all of us. And there's a, if, if in, in a basic form, if you like, there's a little bit of all, all of the um, colors in all of us. So in all of the elements in all of us, um, therefore it really makes the possibilities infinite. So while some people look at it and say, what, you know, everyone's one of four different things. I mean, we really aren't. Uh, and it's really just a, a framework for us to be able to study uh, what, our, what our behavior's like and what other people's behavior's like and it gives us some real insight, in particular, into how people wish to be treated. And that's that's one of the key key factors that, that kind of runs through the real power of DISC for people uh, over and above understanding themselves, which is which is often where people start and stop and say, oh, that's great. And then they file it and never really use it properly to, the, to its full power ever again. So it's really interesting, isn't it? So I wonder if, before we go any further, if you could maybe just break down and let us know what each of the four behavioural styles are within DISC, either by letter or by colour. Yeah, yeah, sure. So the D is what we call the reds. Um, these are the go-getters. These are the fast thinkers. The people that uh, need results, and they need results quickly. They tend to speak quickly and uh, bluntly, so often they'll get straight to the point. And uh, they want you to get straight to the point as well. Uh, the <laughs> the easiest uh, red to spot on the planet right now is Donald Trump. He's a very strong red, um, absolute archetypal red. Doesn't mean to say that all the reds out there are like Donald. It's just he's he's just that real beacon of boy, that man is red. Um, so even even within that, there's nuances. The yellows are the um, are the unique thinkers, the creatives. Uh, they like to surround themselves with team. Uh, again, they're fast thinkers. Uh, they're not too worried whether they're right or not, but they do want to make progress and they make decisions based on how it's going to affect a team and those around them, which is really important. The Greens are very focused in on relationships and their decision-making is focused around how it's going to affect individuals. Uh, greens are the people that understand uh, other people very well. They have they have empathy. They're the kind of people that will ask questions, will find out. They'll they'll know people better than anybody else in in the community. So they'll they'll know lots about different people. They're very loyal, both to their friends, to their organisations, and one of the real strengths of a green as well is to they 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 bond people together because they know people really well and they take time to build those relationships in a team environment they can be very good at bonding people together and then finally the blues the c's uh they are they are process driven so they are detailed focus uh, both the um both the s's and the c's the, the greens and the blues are much uh, more considered thinkers so i spoke about the yellows and the reds being quick thinkers. 
Um, the blues and the greens, the S's and the C's, they're very considered thinkers, which means they need to take a little bit more time about what they do. The blues focus on process. They focus on detail. Uh, I always say that the blues are the people that make the world work. So if you've got the yellows out there creating all, all sorts of magical, funky things with their, with their creativity thought, the reds pushing to get it done, uh, the blues are the people that actually work out the detail to make sure that we get it right and that there's you know, far fewer mistakes and, and this kind of thing. So, so they're often the, the glue of society, uh, the, uh, the sea. So you've got these... You've got these four distinct types, you know, the fast thinkers at the top um, with, the, with the results focused and the team focused. And then we've got the, the considered people at the bottom with the relationships and then the process driven. And that's kind of the overview. There's so much, like I said before, there's so much nuance within that. And the great thing that people must remember is there's a bit of all of that in all of us. Uh, what we talk about is what's our dominant behavioural style, i.e. what do we go to just naturally, just quick, more quickly than something else? You know, that, is, that is what we need to consider. And uh, we, we can work with that either individually or in teams uh, to make sure that people understand where the advantages are and where the challenges are with their behaviour. So from, from your descriptions, I'm sure some of the descriptions will have jumped out some of us straight away to go oh that sounds just like me but for some of us because as you say it's a blend some of it might have been confusing we might have gone well that's me or and that's me and, and that's me and that's me how would we determine what behavioral style or, or which of the disc profile which of the colors is is our profile yeah so there's a uh, these days an online test that people do uh, and it asks a series of questions which are increasingly hard for you to work out deliberately. Um, and we ask people to take them instinctively. And in our case, it produces, we, we, we now produce four different reports. We produce a very detailed 72-page report. We, we, we produce an overview report. Uh, we've now introduced a remote working report, i.e. How, how we um, can interact with people when we're, when we're remote. That's new this year for obvious reasons. And, and then the final one is, uh, is a motivation report often used by managers to, to see because different things motivate different people. And uh, we, we dig into that a little bit to see what, what will motivate people and what words resonate better with some people than they do with others. Uh, so generally speaking, and it's not every single time, generally speaking, when we show people these reports, they just think it's magic and just say, how do you know all this stuff about me? Uh, and it, it, you know, that is the reaction that I'm sure anyone that works with DISC gets most of the time. There are the exceptions, and there are people that are in a kind of very confused transitional period in their life, and you won't necessarily get a, a strong result. Uh, but generally speaking, we are quite accurate in terms of uh, what we're able to show people. Like I said before, that's just really the understanding yourself is really just the start of it. Um, actually studying disc in a wider context is, is much more much more useful. I can, I can imagine how useful it would be studying it in, in the wider context. And the three words that you just said that just jumped out at me, particularly because what we're talking about today in, in terms of storytelling, and you said that you get the report around motivation, you get the, the report around interaction and the words that are used. And, and so I can imagine that once you understand yourself, and how you fit into the into the, the profile, which profile fits you. That that's one thing. But understanding someone else's profile, that's got to be so powerful in terms of uh, how they're motivated, how to interact with them, and the words to use when you're talking to them. So, how can this be used to our advantage when we're telling stories and, and thinking about the audience that we we might be talking to when we're when we're thinking about constructing the story that we might want to be telling to these people. I think, yeah, so the key thing you said there, kind of in response is uh, thinking about the audience. And so if we think about it just, just slightly before we get detailed into stories, we think about it in terms of communication, we should be communicating in a way that suits our audience in an ideal world. Now, we don't always necessarily know what our audience is, what our audience is going to be. Um, however, if, if we are totally unsure who the audience is, then we can make sure that we've got a good blend of the different behavioral styles in our communications. 
And if we drill that down into storytelling, uh, we can we can consider who our audience is. We can consider who our normal audience might be, and therefore we then might need to consider: Do we just go for one behavioural style in our storytelling? So we so we just do we just tell a really quick, fast story that gets to the point and shows us straight away, um, or do we um, take something that's much more complicated and intricate? And is and is layered up. Um, details are layered up on top of each other, on top of each other, so that we really get a very complex story. Now, hopefully, by thinking about the descriptions that I spoke of before, you could already tell that some stories are going to appeal more to certain behavioural styles than they are to others. So, we need to consider when we're when we're creating uh, anything uh, and stories in particular that. Um, uh, are, are we going are we going to have a blend of behavioral style in this are we just going to write it in our style which is obviously perfectly okay it depends if it's your story then writing it in your behavioral style is 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 perfectly okay in my view um or possibly if we think about um, the type of story we're writing um then maybe it needs that level of of detail that you would get from from the blues in particular the, the other key thing here might be, and, and, I, and I kind of alluded to it as well, that when, when we're writing, we tend to write in our own style. So if you're thinking about making a story, a, a, a nice rounded story, um, if you're only writing in your style, let, let's say I was a red, so I was, I was kind of getting to the point and it was a fast moving, high action story, um, which, is, which is great. And obviously those, those, you know, there's plenty of stories and films out there that are like this. Uh, what I might be missing, and in particular something that that is opposite to my behavioural style, which is the uh, which is which is the greens, which is the S's, where they're much more focused on relationships. Oh, maybe I haven't put enough relationship buildings parts of the story uh, into in, into it. Um, now, I don't really mind whether you do then put more relationship building stuff into it or not. What's important for me always is that people consider that. Uh, and likewise, have I got enough um, fun and energy that the yellows will really like, or possibly some really nice creativity? And then have I layered up uh, the um, the detail that the blues are going to love? So, so you kind of, it's really important to think through what, what story am I telling here? Who's the audience? Uh, how much detail do I need to put in? How much character creation do I need to have in there? Um, what is the pace of my story and uh, do I need to be, you know, do I need to be uber creative? Now, you don't have to do any of those things. What you do need to do is to consider that. So there's some very different, I was, what's going through my mind at this stage is if you were, if you were writing Lord of the Rings, you need to consider that that is a very detailed, very layered, very, you know, thought out. It's the same with like Harry Potter. It's all very detailed, laid out, thought out. And if that's the book you're going to write, that 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 you have to go into that level of detail. In fact, you know, with with books like that, there's probably so much more story that didn't even make the book, but was still written uh, to make sure that it all tied together and is all very authentic. And if that's not your behavioural style, you really have to get deep into your C there, into your into your blue, to to make sure that you're doing that. If that's not your behavioural style then you're going to have to work out how am I going to achieve that level of detail in my storytelling? So, so there is, it, it's, it's kind of moving around the different colours or the different behavioural styles so that we make sure we are considering at the very least every little part. And that for me is, is, is what makes uh, this uh, so fascinating because most storytellers, will tell a story in their own in their own behavior. It's, it's exactly the same as most business owners will write um, websites in their own in their own style. So it, I, I can look at business owners websites and I can I can say well this particular business owner is is a blue. This particular business owner is a red because because the website just screams out that that, that is who they are. And of course if they've delegated it to someone else that's fine. Um, so again, it's, it's exactly the same as when we when we create stories. 
Uh, we want to be considering who the audience is, what kind of story is this? You know, is it a two-minute story? I do have to get to the point. I have to write it in a in a, in a red way, or is it is it going to be a you know a sixteen novel you know a series of novels when I'm I'm going to have to create lots and lots of backstory to make sure that all sixteen novels hang together properly. And and that in a way isn't that one of the wonders of storytelling that uh, there are so many different ways that that you can tell stories, and. Um, I know I've heard you speak before, Paul, about uh, stories that can be one sentence, or even just one phrase. Uh, so if you're going to be, a, if you're going to have a one sentence, one phrase story, you better write it red. I suggest. <laughs> yeah, and then try and get that little bit of green in there to get that emotional, emotional punch in there as well. Well, ab- absolutely. I mean, you, you're right, and I think uh storytellers can definitely make sure especially if they're not naturally a green see if you're naturally a green you, you're going to put lots of that in there there's going to be lots of emotional connection you can be developing relationships as you go through and working out what goes what goes where and all that but your story might just meander and not get and not get anywhere especially for the bulk of the readers that don't really care about these you know these myriad of relationships so this is where it becomes fascinating is to uh, to look at behavioural styles in, in, in storytelling, um, because we can get we can get stuck into one or the other kind of styles when we really when we we're really missing out, and therefore our story ultimately at the end won't feel as rounded as it could do. Yeah, it, it, it's absolutely fascinating. I, I know from my from having done a disc profile, a really in depth one. I am I am pretty much a chameleon. I am on the on the axis of all four on the disc profile and I, I am ever so slightly yellow ever so slightly but but virtually I am on on the axis of all four which I think really helps with my storytelling because I can cross between all four very easily I'm not particularly dominant for any of them and I wonder if you were to to have a look at um and I'm not suggesting for a minute that I'm in in the world of the great storytellers but if you were to look at the great storytellers that have gone throughout history where they would fit on the disc profile if they were dominant or if they were chameleons or or what their makeup of the disc profile would would have been and you mentioned tolkien and i know that like when i read lord of the rings i, I have to skip bits i can't i cannot read tom bombadil's poem at the at the start of uh, of the lord of the rings it just meanders and goes on and on and on um but i think that's because i'm not blue whereas my blue friends that's one of their favorite bits of the lord of the rings because they just love the detail of that poetry Absolutely, I, I think you're right. I mean, Tolkien probably almost certainly was um, was a blue, was the de- was into the details, and um, his books will will appeal to that type of person. Not to say other people can't, but it's interesting, isn't it, that um, that you say you skip those parts, and isn't that you know that's, that's perfectly okay? Would the great storytellers sit in the middle? Well, possibly. Um, I would say the great storytellers will consider the structure of their story uh, very, very much so. And whether they know it or not, behavioural style will come into it. Um, they might call it something totally different, not not consider behavioural style at all, but they'll say, I need character development, you know, I need action, um, you know, I need I need something that's that's interesting and quirky. And I also, of course, need to make sure I get the detail right. Um, so they might not call it behavioural style. However, they do look at it in, in the whole in that way. It's just when we actually train people on behavioural style, then they can they can take it to it to, to the task, even if it's just even if it's not a natural thing that they do. Um, yeah, there's lots of things in life where some people are just absolutely natural at it, and they don't they don't they don't need the education, uh, and others of us. Um, Gain, gain advantage by studying these things so that we can create structure around, in this case, storytelling and make sure that we've got lots of the elements in there that make a good story. Some people just tell stories and, and nail it every single time. And you're like, how do you do that without even thinking about it? That's just that's just a natural gift they have. Um, good news is they're probably rubbish at other things, but that's fine because we all have our strengths and our challenges, don't we? They probably can't put shelves up or something. But Absolutely, that doesn't, ma- that doesn't matter. So, we've talked a lot about the the audience. If if we don't know the audience, say it's a broad audience. Uh, if someone's reading it, if if we're writing a book and we know that the audience is going to be very broad, or if we're stood on stage and we know that we're going to have say five hundred people 
listening listening to our talk if we know that we're going to be talking to say one or two people in in a sales meeting and we have the opportunity to to talk to someone who is going to be a specific uh a disc profile or a specific uh communication style how would we go about discovering what communication style that that person is, is going to be within within the disc Yes, yeah, great question, Paul, actually, because this, this, again, is where the power lies, that if we can naturally discover, because we're obviously not going to walk around the world asking people to fill out questionnaires and then saying, just before I get back to you, I'm just going to analyse this and get back to you. So we need to be able to pick up on things. And so the way that we talk about it at Integris is we, we just say, just ask people some questions. And the way that they answer those questions will give you uh, lots of clues as to what behavioural style they are. And one of the things, for instance, one of the things about Reds is they're not really into small talk and chit chat. So when you ask them what what their weekend was like, you know, they'll give they'll they'll be polite, obviously, but they'll give you a much shorter answer. Um, and it will be to the point and it'll be it'll be about things like, um, you know, yeah, I run a marathon. I did it in you know, I did it in my best ever time. And then they move on. You know, they, basically, they're describing the result of their weekend was that, that they got their, their best time in this in this marathon running. Um, if you if you ask the same questions of the greens on the on the opposite scale, they're going to tell you about what they did and who they did it with because there's there's kind of a relationship based answer there. Um, and likewise um, with the yellows, their their answers will be much quicker and upbeat and fun. And remember what I said about the pace as well. So the so the yellows and reds will speak quicker, and the um, blues and greens, the the S's and the C's will speak slower. Uh, if you ask a blue about a weekend, you're generally going to get a much longer answer. So even just from that one simple question, you'll uh, you'll get some some clues. Sometimes you get some visual clues, um, but they 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 can be a bit unreliable. So um, in terms of what people are wearing, the type of car they're driving. Uh, for me, that just creates uh, the part of a mosaic of when you understand behavioural styles, you can you can put that in and say, right, well, you might be a yellow, um, but let me let me hear you say something before I kind of confirm that because some of those visual clues um, uh, don't always give it away. And at the end of the day, uh, you're not going to get it massively accurate. Um, however, some people just give the game away straight away with with how they talk and what they do. Um, the important thing is, as long as we uh, have it in our minds that we're going to treat people how they wish to be treated, this is what this is what we're looking to do right now. So, if we can discover what behavioural style people are, that means that the next you know, that conversation we're going to have with them, whether it's a sales conversation or whatever, is going to be much more suited to what they want rather than me just cracking on with what I want, because that's what I want. <laughs> and I'm sure we've all sat in meetings and uh, listened to people, and it's like, well, that's all well and good, but what you're talking about is not what I want. <laughs> and, and hopefully at some stage soon you're going to stop so that I can, I can tell you what it is that I want. And, of course, it depends on the meeting. There's nothing wrong, of course, with um, saying to people, how would you like this to go? <laughs> what would you like us to talk about? How much time have you got? These are the kind of things that you're trying to work out with your communication. So it doesn't all have to be down to behavioural style, but sometimes you just don't get that opportunity to ask those questions. Um, or when you ask people, people will say more generic things like, oh, I don't know, you just ju just you just start. <laughs> so, so then it's kind of you have to make up your own mind uh, whether you're going to tailor your presentation I know I got to the stage where people would come and see me and um, they'd get their laptop out and they'd get their um, slides out and everything like that. And I would say to them, um, before we start, this is what I want out of the meeting. So actually from the opposite side of it, I'm saying that's all well and good, but really I don't want, I don't want you wasting your time and mine, to be honest, but I didn't say that. Uh, what I'm looking for is this. And no one ever got offended to that. They were like, "Oh, great. Okay, well, then we'll do that." Then I'm like, "Great, that's brilliant." Now we're all now we're all happy, aren't we? Um, and often it was a case of, "I might want to come back to that at some stage in the future, but I just don't need it right now." It makes a big difference, doesn't it, when you when you put what how they want to be communicated with, as opposed to how you want to communicate. Mm. And it means when you're when you're planning your stories, particularly if you're going into a room where maybe you've not met the person who's who, who's who you're going to tell the case study to 
to have maybe four versions of that case study. So you've got your red, your blue, your green, your yellow version of the case study. You find out what they are, find out that they're yellow. So then you just trot out the yellow version of the case study. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so there's, there's there's a couple of things there. Yes, you can write four different versions. Uh, and that's definitely something we talk about. And the other thing you can do is to make sure that when you're telling when you're telling the story, the case study, um, but in, in fact, almost any story, and if you think about lots of films, they kind of start in this way as well with their storytelling. Um, start fast because the reds and the yellows have a very low attention span, so you need to grab people's attention. So uh, if, you, if you only had one version of your case study, your, your story, your real client story, then the first part of it needs to be really gripping and, fo- and results-focused because everybody, everybody likes results, right? You don't have to be a red to like results. So everyone's going to read that section. However, if you start with all the detail and all the, you know, loads and loads of backgrounds, you're going to turn off at least 50% of your audience straight away with the, with the first part. Um, and like I say, if you think about lots of films, I mean, James Bond films are, are, are perfect for this in their story. that They always start fast. And that's one of the reasons, because it hooks you in uh, nice and early. And it, it can be exactly the same with your, with your case studies. Uh, you know, make sure that that first section of it really hooks people in and they're like, right, now I want to read it. And then after we do that, we then move on to things that appeal to the yellow. So what's, you know, what's what's unique about this product? What's the, what's the creativity you brought to this product? Which t- what was the, Who were the team members involved in the product? And then we can move on to our green messages about about um, how we build relationships with you know with our clients and and how um, if, if they've been a loyal client that really appeals in there before we get to the detail, and often the detail line in some of those things can can really be if you'd like to know more either click on this link, maybe if it's a PDF with a link in, or if you'd like to know more, then we've got maybe another document or and or a, a follow up call so that we don't have to put all the detail in the first bit. However, all the detail is available for those that want it, because that's the real key thing. You'd be making a mistake also if you were to write something like that and leave all the detail out. So I think in your scenario, if I didn't know the person, I'd much rather give them just the one bit, the one copy, the one story, but make sure that story hit all of the colors and um, then then pick up later on, rather than have the four and choose one, because if I get it slightly wrong, uh, you know, and also they might show it to somebody else. There's the other thing as well. So they might say, oh, "I got this," and and they'll show it to their. You know, they might be a. You you might have quite rightly got them as a blue, so you give them the blue version. They take that to their boss, who's a yellow, who looks at it and says, "What's this? I'm not get. I'm not understanding this." Um, so if we can take people through on that journey from fast to more to more considered, because the thing is, even if I'm a red and I'm not I'm not massively into details to begin with, if you'd hook, if you've hooked me in on the fact that I can double my turnover in in 15 minutes, then I'm going to like right, I'm going to read this, <laughs> you know, I'm going to keep reading this, and oh, this is fascinating. Right? How exactly? How do we? And they can get into their blue side of their personality. You just don't want to give it to them up front. Um, so yeah, again, it's um, it's it is really important. So the so the four the four different colours there is there is a um, there is a case for that sometimes. Um, uh, we talk about it. So social media is a really co- cool thing. So if we're telling stories on social media and um, the different social media, either by their technical um, construction or by the type of audience they have, you tell stories slightly differently. Yeah. And so in Twitter, you have to get to the point because we've only got a certain number of characters to get to the point on. And because it's that type of technical medium, the people that really love uh, Twitter, generally speaking, are that kind of person. They want you to get to the point really quickly. Uh, Facebook is very green because it's very relationship driven. The whole thing is very relationship driven. And um, uh, LinkedIn is, is, is much more of a blue behavioral style, much more of a detailed process driven behavioral style. Um, so therefore you might, if you've got one piece of content, one kind of one um, client story, you may want to just tweak it slightly for those different platforms. I mean, you're going to have to tweak it for, for, for Twitter because, you know, you, you, assuming you, you, know, you write a few uh, paragraphs. 
Um, so, so there you go. So social media is one of the places where when we're telling stories, we might want to think about four different versions because we've got, broadly speaking, it's not just about the people reading, but also what people reading those platforms expect. And then, of course, we go into, uh, you know, YouTube and um, Instagram, etc., just totally different kind of storytelling techniques uh, that people would expect on there. Um, with visuals and, and videos and stuff. It's all very fascinating, isn't it? All these different places that we've got to use, all these different styles, and just yeah. the fact that we all, every single one of us, has a slightly different profile, makes the the whole storytelling experience completely different. Absolutely. Now, you've recently written a book, which I imagine you had to take all of this into account for. So, um, the book's called Infinite Giving. Um, would you like to tell us a little bit more about the book? Yeah, so the book, uh, Infinite Giving, is a codification of a, a phrase that's been used um, around, around the world, really. I mean, it started life in an um, organization called BNI. And uh, Dr. Ivan Meisner, who founded BNI, coined this phrase, uh, Give Us Gain. And uh, when Greg and I took, took the concept to him to say, look, Give us gains just two words. It's only ever spoken about in two words. It's, it's this idea that if I give to you, uh, you'll give to me, or at least you'll give to the to the community in some way. Um, that that definition hadn't really been padded out. And when we when we spoke with Ivan about it and just said, look, we think people are getting give us gain wrong, and they are dropping out of the um, the, the communities that they're in, whether that be a BNI chapter or um, a, you know, another business group, or etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, um, uh, and he said to us, "Do you know what? Yes, I'm, this is a blind in flashly obvious. I should have written this book ages ago um, because we want people to fully understand the what what lies behind." Uh, giver's gain and how so we created seven principles of giver's gain so to, to kind of codify it which is a very blue thing to do um and then we then we started writing that out now if i'd written the book um i, I would have i would have really kind of gone to town on on exactly describing uh, what these uh, principles are not because i'm blue but i just think that's because it's really important to do so and uh, quite obviously, um, getting people like Greg involved um, is a way of uh, making sure that we told stories within the book that identify how, uh, when we when we take givers game, when we apply the seven principles, that's what leads to the infinite giving, which is the title. Because lots of people grasp the ideas and they grasp givers game, but they don't necessarily do it for a long period of time. So they drift in and out of it. And that's because of what we describe in the book as being able to use the seven principles uh, all together. So that's the book in a nutshell. We believe that if everybody was to adopt a giving attitude, that there's, that there's plenty of resource in the world, there's plenty of success available in the world, and the whole world could be successful uh, in, in whatever, whatever definition of that there is, uh, it's just we live in a take society. We should be really living in a give society. The book describes how we could live in a give society when no one person was disadvantaged by that. And that that therein lies the challenge. And lots of people, when we talk to them about the book, they're saying, oh, right, yeah, but I've got nothing to give. Um, you know, I, I need to gain because, you know, really I'm struggling right now and I need to gain with things. And the point is, uh, often people are very focused on money when they talk about that. We don't talk about money in the book. This isn't about money at all. This is about um, being giving of our time, of our energy, of our knowledge, um, of our contacts, of our influence. And um, when we all when we all do that, the world is a better place. It's a, it's a brilliant book. And so you just you just mentioned there that you use stories within the book, almost as 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 Jesus used parables or Aesop used fables to get your points across for the, the seven principles. Um, how, when, when you were thinking about the stories that you were using in the book to get, get your points across, how were you sure that the, the stories that you were picking were the right stories to get your points across? Well, we went through lots of different stories um, and some of them didn't make the, make the book. Um, the, 
the kernel of the idea of the book came from a speech that Greg and I gave at a conference. And the stories that we told that day, because as speech writers, we understand that uh, stories are all part of a good speech. And therefore, we chose some stories for that speech. They didn't make the book, um, partly because we had to consider the audience was a, was, was a much bigger, much wider audience, effectively. Um, so various different stories were, were put together. The interesting thing is this, the first story we tell in the book, the blood donor story, is Greg found that story himself. And he just said, look, I've nailed, I've nailed the first part of the book. Uh, he was very confident he had got it, he'd got it right. And uh, he told um, Ivan and myself the story and we, we just totally agreed with him. So that one just came and just stuck and then that was it. Um, we did a lot of research making sure it was correct <laughs> uh, because that's the other problem with putting stories in books is sometimes you people put stories in books that aren't, aren't real stories. They're, you know, they're made up stories. Um, all the details not not correct. So there were some stories we found and we just found them not to be true or not to be true in, in the way that we needed them to be true, if you like. Um, so they didn't quite fit the book there. Um, so we either, we either came up with the stories ourselves and just said, look, I've got this great story and the, and the other two liked it. Um, or we, uh, we looked around for stories that worked and then we discussed them as a, as a three of us and decided whether we really liked them, whether they, whether they went in the book or not. They, they had to kind of pass the test, if you like. They had to, they had to pass the seven principle test. Um, that's the first time I've ever said that, by the way. It's not, um, it was not something we actually had when we were creating the book. Like, do they pass the seven principle test? But that was the process that was going through our minds in terms of, um, you know, is this, is this give without expectation? Is this give more than people expected, et cetera, et cetera? Um, so that uh, we can turn around and say, yes, it, yes, it does. Because... Obviously, you can't tell a story and then people say, well, yeah, but you've just told people not to do that. <laughs> so, so there's a, so there's a, there's just a little bit of, um, of editorial there um, that's really, that's really important. Um, but researching stories like this, you know, giving stories, stories that are really uplifting stories, uh, that's just a real joy to do. And like I say, we researched plenty of stories that didn't make the book. Um, some of those stories are now creeping into the to the presentations we're doing since. Um, uh, yeah, so uh, we we knew we had to put the stories in the book. Without without the stories, the book is flat. The book is very flat, um, and uh, it, they they have to be in there. And they kind of, I guess they kind of inform the rest of it as well. So it's not it's not like you write the if you if you like the content of the book and then you go and find stories to match and i may have just said that's what we did but it's not really what we did um we you know we found we we had the concept of the book we found the stories some of the stories were like yeah okay then when that informs what we write about the content if you like the principles and it all it all kind of swims together so that eventually you've got something that really makes sense because you also don't want to get people to suddenly to come along and say, well, why did you put that story in? It just doesn't make any sense. It's, it's, it's a great story, but it, it, it's at odds with what we're trying to say here. Um, so, it, so it is fascinating. Uh, I will say that Greg's the story fella. I mean, he, he's the guy that really knows stories, but not all the stories in the book are his. And um, uh, it was great fun working with both him and Ivan on, on all elements of the book. And the, the, we actually wrote a story in the book. Uh, and there's a story in the book of a lady who has a, a giving day. Uh, so that's our story. It's not, it's not an amazing story. <laughs> it's, it's really just to illustrate some of the ways that you can, um, that you can give um, that have got nothing to do with money. I, I was very keen that we, that, that we illustrated. So there's one example of this is, when the lady goes to the station, she parks away from the front door because she knows that other people have mobility issues, which means they want to take those spaces at the front door. Um, so therefore, she, she, she is considerate in her parking and parks away from the door. That, that for us is one way that the world can benefit from, from a giver's gain kind of attitude. And that's, that's in that little story. So we did actually write a little story for, for, for the book. Um, 
And to begin with, uh, we weren't sure whether we'd leave it in. But, so we left it for the editor to, to decide whether, whether it should stay in. And the editor said, I love the story. So, so it stayed in. Amazing. And when you were writing the stories down and you're actually kind of getting them onto paper, was, was there anything that you were conscious of in terms of how you were structuring them or, or anything that you were conscious of in terms of um, making sure that they were engaging? Yeah, I think um, it's you've you've got the whole. So so often often the stories that we found were, were effectively, if you like, told by others. Um, so they're from newspaper articles, etc. Uh, however, we wanted to make sure we told them in a way that um, that that fits with Giver's Game, fits with the principles. Uh, so therefore we, we kind of had the, you know, the, the start, middle and end, we had the heroes, we had the journey, we had, we had a lot of that given to us, uh, from the original source of the stories. Um, yet you still want to consider where they, where they, where they fit in the book. I think one of the things we're quite proud of is that most people can't tell, you know, who, who wrote which part of the book and the book has a kind of, has a flow of its own has a style that it that that is of the book and it's not considering it's written by three different authors and we genuinely wrote a third of the book each effectively um it, it, it isn't it isn't clunky in that way so so even if even if you're given say a press cutting which is the story of of the uh, gentleman um giving whatever it was 1782 donations um which is a fact we had to check and then even though you're given that story out, out of the newspaper, and, and if you like, the newspaper is the is the um, the authority here that it was reported in multiple um, news sources. Uh, we still need to take that story and make sure it, it works in terms of the overall communication that we want to put it into the book. So I, I, I actually don't know how that story was changed from the um, uh, from the original press article. But often what you'll what you'll find you'll do in this, of course, is you, when you've got multiple sources, you'll take the best bit from that source and the best bit from that source in terms of creating the the final story that you end up telling. I guess it's slightly different telling uh, factual stories than it is telling fictional stories. In a fictional story, you've got you've got much more. You know, you you can take it wherever you want to take it, and you can you can put the story over here and then bring it back over here. When it's a factual story, then then you have to. You have to fact check it for a start, and then and then make sure it makes sense in terms of the um, the, the medium of which you're using it. Um, so yeah, it's um, it, it is fascinating. There's, I mean, there are some some just beautiful stories in the book, uh, and we've since found probably at least another dozen and, and other stories that people have suggested to us since that, that say, yeah, this should have been in, this should be in, this is a great story, illustrates what you mean. Um, there are so many great stories out there uh, that, and and they need to be told, don't they? Uh, but they need to be told in context of why, why are you telling me this? <laughs> um, so that's that's what we did with the book. I think they can, they can be in the second edition or the sequel. Quite, quite possibly, yes. I do remember suggesting at one stage to Greg and Ivan that we did have basically a part two that which that which was just packed full of stories from. Our, our own kind of experience and then from around the world uh it, it just would have added probably another year to producing the book because <laughs> it's you know it's quite a lot of collation so maybe there'll be a part two um we have some other ideas for other books so Amazing. Uh, we might get onto those first so just a cu- couple of quick fire questions before you join yeah um who do you think of when you hear the word story and why do you think of that person or those people um Aside from my co-author Greg, because he's just in my life constantly at the moment. Um, so, for, so for me, the when I first realised that the art of storytelling for me was when I was reading Harry Potter. Uh, now I know I know Harry Potter gets its critics, which is fine. However, it it it's um, what J.K. Rowling did there for me. It opened up my eyes to how storytelling works. Whether it's you know whether people like the story or think it's a great story or whatever, I I, I, I do think she tells she she constructs stories and I, I, I like that. And can you recommend any good books or websites or blogs or podcasts uh, that you've come across uh, about storytelling? 
You know what? I can't. Uh, it's in all honesty, it's not something that I study. Um, more so, having written having written the book, and I often say to people um, in, in my line of work, telling stories is is something that we do all the time. However, I'll tell people I'm not a great storyteller, and they'll turn around to me and say, "Yes, you are," and I'm like, "Well." Um, okay, well, maybe if I studied it, I'd be a good storyteller, <laughs> but, but I, 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 re- I really don't. I, re- I, re- I really don't look out for it. Um, I probably will more as I write more books. Just just one of those naturals that we talked about before, Jimmy. Well, maybe, but I, I still think people are wrong when they say that. When they say, oh, you're a great storyteller, I'm like, well, I still, I still don't think you're right, but yeah, maybe. Very, I am. very modest of you. Uh, last question then. Where can we find out more about you? Where can we find the book um, and uh, tell us about where we can find you on social media and online? Yes. So the easiest place to find more about me is um, julianlewis.biz, uh, where it will take you to a, a part of our Integris website. But there's loads, all my contact details are there, including all my social media links uh, on Twitter. I'm julian underscore Lewis. That's a good place uh, to get hold of me. I hang out most on Facebook. Um and I believe it's positive.jules on Facebook, which is um, which I quite like. Um, yeah, my friends call me Jules. I love being called Jules. It's not a problem. And Positive comes from the first company that I started, my first IT company, uh, which, I, which, which I still own to this day, still run to this day. So, uh, but yeah, julianlewis.biz, you can, you, can, you can find me there. Brilliant. And the book, where can we find the, the Infinite Giving book? Yeah, so the book's available on Amazon uh, right across the world. Uh, so if you just search for Infinite Giving, you'll see our book with the purple uh, cover on it. Amazing. Well, Julian, really appreciate you taking the time to come and talk to us and share all of your knowledge and wisdom. And I'd love to do it again soon when uh, your second edition or your next book comes out. Look forward to it. Thank you very much, Paul. Thanks, Julian. Thank you for joining us for this episode of All the World. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And visit weareopusmedia.com for more resources based on today's topic, as well as access to more episodes that will help you develop your storytelling abilities. That's weareopusmedia.com. Thank you, and see you next time. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.